Welcome, folks, to another edition of Opinions All Day, and this week I will be covering the Chargers' running back situation, present and future, Jim Harbaugh potentially in line for the job if the season goes sideways, James Harden's recent idiot self-centered comments, and I'll give my take on the growth of college football, realignment, why it's great, stay tuned for that later on. But I start off the show with the Chargers' first preseason game against the Rams. 34-17 throttling of a beat-up Rams team. That's a disaster. The roster's a train wreck for them. They started Zach Evans at running back. Royce Freeman. Stetson Bennett. They had Brett Ripon in at quarterback. And they had Tyler Johnson at wide receiver. They had some other no-name people. And their best starting receiver coming into the year is Van Jefferson or whoever it is. I mean, the Rams roster is a joke. It's a, it's a result of the F them picks motto. Aaron Donald didn't play. But the Chargers backups, for the first time in a while, and it's been a while, looked competent. They looked great. Because for years and years, especially in the last couple of years, three to four years, we've had star players on offense, Justin Herbert, Phillip Rivers, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, star centers, left tackles, right tackle, Joey Botha, Derwin James. You know, we have all those star, big-name players in the key positions, but when players go down for injuries... When Austin Eckler goes out or if Justin Herbert goes out, the team goes sideways. If Duran James is out of safety, the safety position, a train wreck. We've seen it before. you got to have backups. And Easton Stick looked amazing in Kellamore's offense. He looked competent for the first time in his career. He had commanded the offense. The chaos of the Anthony Lynn years, Joe Lombardi's over-complex elementary school offense made Easton Stick look like he didn't belong in the arena football league. It was terrible. And the dude's been in the league since 2019. Um, In the game against the Rams, he was 14 for 21, 109 yards, one touchdown. The two-minute drive with the touchdown pass to Quentin Johnson was impressive. And... The NFL, over the years, 49ers, different teams, you have to have a competent, decent backup quarterback. Because if something were to ever happen to Justin Herbert, like last year, his ribcage, lungs, upper body injuries, lower body injuries, having a confident Eastern stick is important. You have to have a competent backup quarterback. In order to finish off a game, if the injury takes place during the game, or possibly a few games, and being able to go, I don't know, if Justin Herbert's out for four games or whatever, go two and two. Be respectable. you got to keep the team afloat and keep the offense afloat, keep the flow going, which is vital in today's NFL. you got you got to have a decent backup quarterback. Easton Stick, for the first time, looked competent. Max Duggan, the rookie, the, the other guy, yeah, he wasn't great. He, lo- he looks like a third-string quarterback. He was two for three, 19 yards, got sacked three times. Ran, he ran into a couple of sacks. He has a long ways to go. Hopefully, we don't have to ever have to see him play. But Easton Sticks, definitely the backup. Good for him. And it, it's another example of why Kellen Moore's offense is going to be vital, essential to this team's success in order for the firepower to show what it's made of and also the other rookie Darius Davis as I expected as I pointed out throughout this summer on this show every single week I said he was going to be a playmaker he had an 81 yard punt return for a touchdown the Chargers have not had an actual speed guy since since Darren Sproles. We've had guys like Joe Reed. He didn't pan out. He's out of the league. Jalen Guidens, inconsistent at practice, has a hard time getting on the field. Injuries. 
Last year, DeAndre Carter was brought in as the speed guy, but he's older, been on half the teams in the league. Definitely seemed like he was on the backside of his career. He didn't have much left in the tank. Darius Davis made plays on offense, two catches, 21 yards, almost broke that 13-yard pass he had for a first down. He almost broke it for a touchdown, and he almost came close to taking another punt return to the house. Darius Davis is a touchdown waiting to happen. He will set up great field position for this offense. And with Kellen Moore's creative, innovative, progressive play calling, Darius Davis will be a threat on offense to blow the top off these defenses on the schedule. I mean, you get the Dolphins week one, Titans, Vikings, Raiders, Cowboys, Chiefs coming on the pike. You got to have those big time speed guys to burn a defense, whether it's in the kick return game, punt return game, or even just a deep ball. And we haven't had that with Joe Lombardi's shitty offense. And then with Jalen Guyton being in and out of the lineup, can't get on the field. We've had beat up old speed guys. DeAndre Carter wasn't good enough, wasn't fast enough, lost his speed. D- Darius Davis is a weapon. And I keep saying it, he, outside of Justin Herbert, he can be the potential MVP of this team because I believe he has the potential to flip a lot of games around. Because the Chargers, we've been in a lot of close games over the years. Last year, year before, we having a punt return guy, speed guy, just to blow past the defense, flip the game upside down, you have to have it. You have to have it. It is important to have. And I believe the Chargers, Tom Telesco, Brandon Staley, Kellen Moore, I believe they have that with Darius Davis. And you showed that in game one. I look forward to see what he does against the Saints this weekend on Saturday. And then against the 49ers to wrap it up. But Darius Davis is a weapon. I know Kellen Moore is not going to bring out the bells and whistles in week two and three and one of the preseason. But, man, even in the vanilla stuff, he looks really good. Uh, The running game was on target. Isaiah Spiller had a few great runs. The interior offensive line created a lot of big holes. Spiller had a 70-yard touchdown called back. It was great to see him on the field finally. Spiller doesn't have great speed. He has that Melvin Gordon style of patience and then exploding through the hole which is finally nice to see. We finally got to see it. He didn't play at all last year, he, he, except for garbage time later in the year. Joshua Kelly had an okay game. He had 54 yards. I believe the running back position needs to be better. It has to be better. And I believe if we can get Isaiah Speller on the field, Getting going, getting used to playing in the NFL since Lombardi just had him rot on the bench last year. I believe Kellen Moore will get him into the game. He can catch the ball in the backfield. He can make plays. He's a bigger running back. So it's good to see him play. But the MVP of the game was Elijah Dodson, the undrafted rookie from Northern Colorado. Six carries, 92 yards, two touchdowns. He's elusive, explosive, has excellent speed, and catch the ball at the backfield. We need a running back to step up behind Austin Eckler because the past couple of seasons, it's been Eckler and a bunch of spare parts that can't play. Justin Jackson was decent but inconsistent. He just retired with the Lions. He's out of the league. Joshua Kelly has, has that big build. Low gravity between the tackles, but he's either getting 20 yards or negative five. There's no in between. Isaiah Spiller was supposed to be a you know between the tackles guy, hard nosed runner, but he never saw the field. Labor Roundtree, who I expect, who, who I'll get to in a second, he had fumbling issues, attitude problem. We had Kalen Balaj in 2020 for a few games when Eckler had COVID. He's bounced around the league, no longer plays football. And then you have the Sony Michelle, negative one yard and a clot of dust. He's out of the league. So 
we need someone to step up. And I believe Elijah Dodson looked really good. He looked like a young Austin Eckler. That's what he looked like. And with Austin Eckler out the door once the season ends because he wants to get paid, you got to have a guy like Elijah Dodson step up. And I believe with Larry Roundtree cut, gone, that opens the door for a guy like Dodson to get on the team. And I believe he should be on the team because he looked really good. We'll see how the preseason game against the Saints goes, then the 49ers. But if he continues on this track, whew, he will be dangerous for years to come. And that that's what's important because, and I'll get into this in a, in a minute, but the Chargers, Tom Telesco, they never spend a lot of money on running backs. And in most situations, unless you have a average C to B minus quarterback, you shouldn't pay for a running back. Because if you have a decent offensive line, you shouldn't need a big name running back like a Derrick Henry or Saquon Barkley. You don't need it. If your O-line is good, it's supposed to be plug and play, get yards, be productive, make plays, and hopefully with... um. Dodson's play, Spiller's play, maybe Joshua Kelly can get motivated, but if not, he might be gone too because Dodson and Spiller looked ready to go. The defense, all the starters didn't play. Dayan Henley batted down a few balls, played well. The backups on the front seven looked really good. Thule, our second-round pick from USC, looked like he could start week one. Derek Ansley, the new elevated defensive coordinator, preaches aggressiveness, see ball, get ball, nothing cheap. Hopefully, for the sake of my mental well-being, mental health of watching this team play, and for the, every other Charger fan, hopefully, and please, for goodness sake, Brandon Staley, stay out of Derek Ansley's way. Stay out of the way. Let him coach the defense. Don't mess with anything. Don't mess with the schemes. Don't get in the way like you did with that kid, Renato Hill, when he was the coordinator for two years. Basically, Brandon Staley took it over for him. Like, it was pathetic. He, he, like, I feel bad for the guy, but Renato Hill was not a real defensive coordinator. He was just some kid that had the title, wore, head, wore the headset, did not do anything productive. So let Derek Ansley do his job. He's had him ready to go in training camp. Started in OTAs. He's aggressive. He's in everyone's face, which is what you need. Because Derwin James can't be in everyone's face. Khalil Mack can't be in everyone's face. You gotta have you gotta set the tone with Derek Ansley. And so far, the front seven, the backups, they look good. Tooley looks like a star. Like, I believe he has the potential to be really, really good. He should definitely be starting week one. We'll see how it goes. Henley and then Thule looked really good. But the downside is, and I brought him up last um, last week, Kenneth Murray did not play, and I get it. He's a starter on a technicality. But since being drafted in the first round in 2020, pick 23rd, he's gone worse. And I brought it up last week, as I mentioned. His PFF rating is in the tank. Had comparisons to Thomas Davis, which is an insult. He can't read pass plays. Reads on the wrong gap. Can't stop the run. Kaiser White and Nwosu covered up for his deficiencies in 2021. But they had expiring contracts. The Eagles, Seahawks threw a lot of money at them. Kenneth Murray should be playing Every preseason game. Not only is his time on the Chargers coming to an end with Henley taking over, but his future in the league is on ice. It's on very, very thin ice. Because what team will look at Kenneth Murray's film and be excited for misreading run and pass plays? Terrible communicator. Like, who's going to be excited for that? The linebacker is the QB of the defense. 
You're supposed to be a communicator. And according to numerous reports from Daniel Popper and all the other beat writers that cover the Chargers, he doesn't communicate. He's quiet. And when you're a linebacker, you got to run your mouth. you got to talk. Misreading pass and run plays left and right. It's terrible. And I don't want to hear, at some point, I don't want to hear, well, the coaching just sucks. I, no, at some point, you got to own it yourself. Coaching can only get you so far. And Kenneth Murray has been a disaster since the end of the league. I mean, he was tied for 57th and tackles. And you're, and you're a first-round pick? That's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. That is an indictment on his work ethic, his communication skills. you got to be better than that. you got to be better than that. He should be out there competing with Henley for the starting linebacker spot. He should be. But time will review the truth by week five, six, or seven, Expect Murray to be benched. Expect him to be benched. It's going to happen. It hasn't happened. There's no way Dare Gansley and Brandon Staley can run him out there with the starting defense the first few weeks. He just can't. He's a liability. The dude is an absolute liability, and I'm not trying to ruin his career, but based on what I've seen for three years, which is a long time, He's had one decent game. And that's sad. And that is, I mean, that, that's pathetic for a guy drafted in the first round. A guy that had comparisons to Thomas Davis. That's pathetic. And I don't care what he did in college. I don't care about any of that. It's what you do in the National Football League when you are getting paid to be a star, and he's been a bum. He's been a scrub. So by five, week five, six, seven, eight, I expect him to be on the bench because Henley is going to get better. He looked great. He looked way better than Kenneth Murray in pass coverage. He looked better in run defense. He looked competent. And he's a third-round pick, third, fourth-round pick. Kenneth Murray was first overall, 23rd. That's pathetic. You can't have that. You can't have your starting linebacker be an absolute joke. Can't. And I'm not trying to repeat myself from last week, but it just gets in my nerves. And, and when I saw that Kenneth Murray wasn't going to play in, in, in any of the preseason games, I'm like, what the hell? What has the coaching staff seen from him that's like, yeah, he can play? I've seen nothing. He's been terrible in every game but one. And, he, and even in that game, I'm referring to the Ravens game from 2021, he was garbage. He had two picks. That was his best game. And the team got run over. That was his best game. And so, so it's not really a compliment. That's not a compliment. I mean, you're the first round pick and you have, you've had one good game, that's terrible. Absolutely horrendous. And, and also, I listen to these other Charger fans on social media, other podcasts, and they're like, yeah, you shouldn't, yeah, Kenneth Murray should not be out there. What the hell are you, what have you guys been watching? He's not that good. All the beat writers that cover the team say he has a communication problem, He's lost, confused, doesn't know what to do. That's on him. You're not prepared. You're not prepared. You're not studying film. You're not taking it home. I don't know what you're doing in the facility all day, but it's pathetic because it shows up on the field every single game. Every game, there's always something going on of him, and they've had to bench him quite a few times for Drew Tranquil, and now he's gone. I mean, in the long run... The Chargers after 2020, 2021, they should have just let him go then because then you could have still had Kaiser White and um, Nwosu. You could have both of those guys because they're way, they're both really good. Kaiser White reached the Super Bowl last year. He played really well for the Eagles. You had Nwosu on your team. You could have had one of those guys over freaking Kenneth Murray. 
Jeez, yeah, just get some of my damn nerves because he's he's not good at all. He's terrible. He's one of the worst linebackers I've ever seen in my life. All right, so switching gears. So Larry Roundtree was cut. I've said before, the Chargers running back situation is not ideal. Once you get beyond Austin Eckler last season, it was quite horrendous. Eckler had 915 yards. Joshua Kelly, 287. Justin Herbert on a cracked ribs was the third leading rusher at 147 yards. Sony Michelle, 106. And then Roundtree and damn pathetic. And then after that Roundtree, it was Keenan Allen. I mean, the, the running game, we were bottom five in the running category last year. It was terrible. Joshua Kelly is not consistent, has the physical tools, but it's either 20 yards or negative five. Larry Roundtree, since being drafted in 2021, he's been a fumbling machine. Poor attitude, doesn't stay in the greatest shape. Mr. Elementary School Offense, Joe Lombardi and, and Roundtree, they clashed. Roundtree was supposed to be a power back, never reached his full potential. So him getting cut was gonna was obvious. Anyone that watched him play that understands how the Chargers offense has worked the last couple of years, him getting cut was well deserved. Should have happened a long time ago. So I've also discussed a few times the Chargers should pull the trigger and plunge for a proven running back. Dalvin Cook, Jonathan Taylor. Dalvin Cook was cut from the Vikings because of his salary. They couldn't afford it. He ended up signing with the Jets on a one-year contract worth around $8 million, which the Chargers could have easily paid. But based on the reports, Cook wanted a bigger role. And the two teams in the lead were the Jets and the Dolphins, who are in search of playmakers. Even though I think a Davin Cook alongside Austin Eckler for one year would have had a dynamic impact, swift army knife and power in combination with the loaded receiver core of Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Quentin Johnston, Darius Davis, John Hightower, and Jalen Guyton once he's off the pop list, mixed in with Kellen Moore's p- play calling, would have put the Chargers at minimum the second best offense in the league. I I would have liked them going after Dalvin Cook because we got to have a guy that that when the passing game doesn't quite have it that day, when the receivers are getting shut down or locked down or whatever, or not having a good day, you got to be able to run the football. You got to be able to run the football to just demoralize a team's mindset. You got to have it. Dolphins, Titans, Vikings, Raiders, Cowboys, Chiefs, Bears, Jets, Lions, Packers. You got to be able to run the ball against him. Ravens, Patriots, Broncos, Bills, go down the list. You got to be able to run the football somewhat to win games you're not supposed to because I'm sick and tired of getting into these close games, and then, oh, look, we threw the ball three straight times. Running back draw and third down with freaking Joe Lombardi. I'm sick of seeing that because then the other team, whoever the hell we're playing, gets the ball back with a eh, minute, minute 30 left and still has a chance to freaking win the game. I'm sick of seeing that shit. Sick of seeing it. So run the damn ball. But... With Elijah Dodson looking like a young Austin Eckler, there's a great great chance he makes the final roster. We'll see how the next few preseason games go. Saints uh, this weekend and then the 49ers. But if he's able to separate himself and maintain six carries, 92 yards, and two touchdowns, then the odds of, El- of Elijah Dodson making the roster are very good. Because his performance against the Rams, that got Larry Roundtree cut. That was the last straw, which reduces the number of guys in front of him. And if Dodson and Isaiah Spiller continue to show consistency, then Joshua Kelly 
might be on his way out the door because up until this point, he's plateaued to just being an average to below average running back. Look at his career stats. He had 287 yards last year. In 2021, he had a grand total of 102. He's not been consistent. Has the skill sets, has the physical tools to be good. Doesn't put it together. And the benefit of Elijah Dodson and Spiller stepping up is the Chargers can avoid overpaying contracts to running backs. Jonathan Taylor wants to be traded. Ultra-talented. Can run between the tackles and catch the football. But he's coming off an injury. And based on Tom Telesco's history as general manager, he doesn't pay running backs top dollar. Look at the Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler situations. And with the trends of the NFL, if you have a quality offensive line, a top-tier quarterback, overpaying for a running back is pointless. Unless you're the Titans, Giants, Vikings, 49ers, and Dolphins, who have limitations at quarterback, there's no reason to pay top dollar for, for a running back. But my point is, Dalvin Cook was only $8 million. The Chargers could have, could have paid that. They could have paid that. They very easily could have paid that. And congrats on Dalvin Cook. I understand he wants to live on the East Coast. West Coast wasn't exactly a stylistic fit. Families in Florida. I get it. He wanted the money also. It was between Dolphins and the Jets. Chose the Jets. But I think Austin Eckler and a Dalvin Cook duo would have been great. I think a Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler duo for one year would be great. But the issue is Jonathan Taylor wants a contract ex- extension. The Colts are not, probably not going to trade him to an AFC opponent. And also trying to fit him in during training camp. Season starts in less than a month. That's going to be very, very hard to work him into the offense. Because Kellamore's offense, the players are learning it. They're installing it. Throwing in Jonathan Taylor, who has an ego, evidently. And him getting his carries. Austin Eckler getting his carries. That would be tough to do. That would be more ideal in like June, May, July, that time frame. Not towards the end of August when you're trying to get the roster set, install the playbook, get everyone comfortable, determine the roster, throwing in a guy like Jonathan Taylor. It would sound great on paper, sounds great in the headlines, but realistically... That doesn't work. That's not easy. It's not easy trying to bring in a star player and be like, all right, figure it out. Figure it out. Get it done. We'll learn the offense. If you don't get 10 touches this week, oh, get over it. Jonathan Taylor, evidently, he has an ego. Eckler has egos. Star players have egos. Learning an offense and only getting 10 carries the first couple weeks, that may not fly. So, the best bet for the Chargers at this point is for Elijah Dodson, Isaiah Spiller to continue showing out and allow Kellen Moore's offense to exploit and showcase their skill set so you have two running backs lined up for the future and when Austin Eckler walks in the offseason, you'll be ready to go. There'll be no question marks. There'll be no concerns. There'll be no, oh, no, we got to give the Colts the first-round pick. And then, No, we're not going to do that. Just stay the course. Develop guys because Justin Herbert's contract kicking in. We'll have to pay Rashawn Slater. We'll have to work out Mike Williams and Keenan Allen's contracts. Next offseason is going to be very busy. Khalil Mack. We got to figure out the contract situation. So if you have two young guys who are cheap, Elijah Dodson and Isaiah Spiller, who could be your future guys, you you have to hope 
You have to make sure it works. Because if it doesn't work, it's a pain in the ass to have to pay a running back X amount of dollars. Especially when it's above what everyone else is paying. We'll see. The running back situation was a, is definitely still a question mark. But after seeing Elijah Dodson and Isaiah Spiller, what they showcased, I'm definitely feeling a lot better about it. But we'll see. Alrighty, so switching gears. The media has been talking about Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers. I've said it before that if the Chargers do not reach the AFC Championship game or at minimum win a playoff game, divisional round, whatever, Brandon Staley will be fired or should be fired. The Spanos family is notorious for being cheap on the head coach. But if you look at their track record in recent history, Mike Riley got three years. He was canned. An absolute disaster. Mike McCoy got four years. Anthony Lynn won a playoff game. Fired after four years. Brandon Staley had the opportunity in year one, even before that de facto playoff game against the JV Raiders, to lock up a playoff spot. But we melted down the stretch losing to a tanking Texans team. And the day after Christmas massacre, the mismanagement of players, in-game adjustments, Mike Williams, starters playing in meaningless games against the Broncos, the wild card game disaster. Brandon Staley has a lot to prove. He has to reach either the AFC Championship game or won a couple of playoff games. That's what he needs. He can't have a one and done or mi- definitely not miss the playoffs. If he misses the playoffs, he's gone. So Colin Cowherd, everyone's probably heard of him, a big Justin Herbert fan, campaigned for Sean Payne to get the Chargers job. Even though I was a little iffy on that, wasn't sure if that would have been a great fit. I think that Broncos situation is going to be a mess. So on his podcast, Cowherd floated the idea of the Chargers missing the playoffs or coming up short, losing in the wild card round, and Jim Harbaugh having another big year in college. Those two could be a match. And it makes sense. Jim Harbaugh has flirted with the NFL. Vikings, Panthers, and the JV Raiders jobs. I've said Kellen Moore is already in the building. If he meshes with Justin Herbert, offense is top five in the league or first in the league, he might be the head coach. Because Dean Spanos, as I mentioned, as all of you probably know, he's historically cheap on the head coach. But if Jim Harbaugh is done with college football, and the crap with the NCAA, the playoff committee, jumping to the NFL, the Chargers, to coach Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Quentin Johnson, Rashawn Slater, the best left tackle in football, Corey Lindsey, the best center in football, and Doran James. If I'm the Spanos family, I am backing up the Brinks trunk for Jim Harbaugh in a heartbeat. Like Dean Spanos acts like he doesn't have a bunch of money. But he's in apartment developing. Private corporations. Non-profit. Donating to political campaigns. He has plenty of money. A lot of money. He's one of the richest guys in California. Donates to political figures. He's rich. Jim Harbaugh is a successful coach overall turned around college programs, built the 49ers into Super Bowl contenders, went 13 wins, 11 wins, 12 wins. He's a winner, NFC championships. And in the middle of that Super Bowl run, he pulled the plug on Alex Smith and put in Colin Kaepernick. The dude coached Colin Kaepernick to a Super Bowl. And they were one play away from winning that Super Bowl. If Jim Harbaugh 
wins that Super Bowl one play away if they finish that play. Jim Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the NFL or all football. Dude's a winner. He's a winner, and he's the, he's the complete opposite of Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley is, you know, the cool neighbor, drink a beer with him, cookout, barbecue. Jim Harbaugh is one of those guys. He drinks milk, wears khakis. Goofy, wears goofy glasses. But he's, he gets into it. Gets mad on the field. He's getting out on sportsmanlike conduct penalties. He's losing his mind. Brandon Staley has a lot of pressure this season to go on a deep playoff run, especially with the talent on offense. You have a top five quarterback in Justin Herbert, who is currently the highest paid in the league. Another shortcoming, losing in the wild card round, divisional round, is unacceptable. And for sure, missing the playoffs will definitely result in a firing. Because this team is way too talented to be sitting at home and going home early. No excuses. No excuses. I don't want to hear anything about mismanagement of players. I don't want to, I don't want to see guys lay near when a, when a playoff spot's booked, locked in. I don't want to see guys playing in a meaningless game. When I saw that against... The Broncos, last game of the year, no meaning. Broncos are home for the holidays. Chargers, playoff spot locked in. When I saw that crap, I lost it. I was five, six beers in, and I was like, what the hell is this? What are we doing? And that made me sick. I don't want to see that crap again. If I'm Dean Spanos and the Spanos family, I don't want to see that crap again. Because we've gotten it with... Anthony Lynn, terrible clock management, blaming other people for not telling him how much time's left. Clown circus. Mike McCoy, Mike Riley, go down the list. They've had questionable head coaches. They're all canned in three to four years. If the team doesn't reach their goal, if they plateau, reach the wild card, lose again, he's gone. If they miss the playoffs, he's gone. And he should be gone. Because you've had plenty of opportunities in year one, year two, and damn sure in year three. I don't want to see any nine and eight records, ten and seven. This is a 13 win team. 13, 14, 12 win team. They have the talent, they have the offensive line, receivers, quarterback, running game. Defense, the front seven looks really good. The only big major question mark is the opposite safety of Derwin James and the damn linebacker. Because if it's damn Kenneth Murray again, oof, it's going to be a long season. A long season of twi- ba- twisty moves and acting like a ballerina, not knowing what to do on linebackers. He has a lot... He has a lot on his plate. And looking at the AFC contenders compared to the Jets, the Chargers are better. The Jets have a lot of question marks. The Bills are due for a disappointing season because they've had chance after chance to reach a Super Bowl. The Bengals have one more year of their core left. Joe Burrow, he needs to get paid. Jamar Chase will get paid. T. Higgins. Then you have Joe Burrow's calf injury, which in recent sports history can turn into a torn Achilles if rushed back too soon. Kevin Durant, classic example in 2019. The Ravens have Lamar Jackson, who is my third favorite quarterback to watch behind Justin Herbert and Cam Newton. They signed Odo Beckham Jr., but he's had injuries left and right the last five years. Can he play more than 10 games? Dolphins have great speed at receiver. But two is limited. And the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, who's considered the best player in the league. But this idea, the dynasty, is going to continue as smooth sailing is delusional. Spurs, Patriots, Warriors dynasties had multiple down seasons in a row. So the Chargers have a great opportunity to make some serious noise. 
and Brandon Staley stay out of the damn way. Stay out of the way. If you can't deliver, keep the team on track. We're going to have problems. He'll be out the door. Jim Harbaugh should be considered, and I think he would be jumping up and down to coach Justin Herbert and that group of wide receivers in that defense. I think he's sick of college. He's been looking at his options the last couple of years. If I'm the Spanos family, I'm handing him the keys, whatever he wants, GM, head coach. Jim Harbaugh, the smart coach. If he can have success with the 49ers, if he can have success at various places in college, you're not convincing me he can't win games with the Chargers. With that loaded roster, no way. So, all right, so switching gears to some NBA topics. And my favorite player, James Harden, is in the news again. And this guy, this clown, really can't cannot help himself. So James Harden, if you haven't heard, called Daryl Morey a liar. He said, quote, Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of any organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of in the NBA, end quote. So, James Harden was on a shoe tour in China when he made these remarks. Quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of James Harden's act. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of coming on here and having to discuss another damn James Harden topic when it, whether it's on the court or off the court. I'm getting sick of it. He's had multiple playoff blunders from the 2016 series against the Spurs when he melted down in Game 6 with no Kawhi Leonard present. He had like 10 points and a million turnovers. 2017, 2018, and 2019 against the Warriors. In 2018, 3-2 lead. Chris Paul pulled his hamstring. But James Harden, according to all these fanboys, he was the top five player in the league. That's what BSPN said. And guess what? Crashed and burned. In 2019, no Kevin Durant for the Warriors. Game five in Houston. Stephen Curry had zero points in the first half. Oh, and then he dropped 30 in the second. Warriors won that game, win the series. James Harden, nowhere to be found. In 2022, against the Miami Heat, James Harden no-showed. In this past season, second round against the mentally weak, bipolar Celtics, James Harden was garbage. In a Game 6 home game, scored a grand total of 9 points. In Game 7, allowing Jason Tatum to drop 51 points. Got blitzed in the third quarter. 33 to 10. And I'm probably leaving out dozens and dozens of other playoff games James Harden failed to show up in because it's longer than a Target Publix checkout list. It's pathetic. Also, let's not forget each time he's torpedoed his way out of now three teams. Demanded a trade from the Rockets. Did not show up to training camp. Instead, he was out going to parties with Little Baby, Da Baby, Drake in Vegas, Atlanta, Miami, and who knows where else. Showed up for game one out of shape, looking like you drank a 12-pack a day. He was fat. Out of shape, looked pathetic. But he dropped 45 points in the Trailblazers. And then after that, he half-assed his way through the rest of the game with the Rockets. And then by early December, mid-December, he was out the door. He refused to shoot the ball, did jack shit, just stood around, got the ball, half-assed it to the next person, 
It was embarrassing. The Rockets gave in, traded him to the Nets because he wanted to be with Katie and Kyrie, wanted to win a championship, wanted to be on a winner, got injured in the conference finals against the Bucks when KD was cooking, averaging 40 a game, and then demanded a trade in January because he reportedly hated Kyrie. He wanted the 76ers because his guy, Daryl Morey, was the GM with the Rockets. He's the one that traded for him in the OKC trade. The get bounced out of the second round against the Jimmy Butler-led Miami Heat. This past season, James Harden had moments of frustration with his role of not being the number one option. Even though Joel Embiid, given all of his injury shortfalls and playoff failures, is the clear number one. He's the number one option. Averaging 35 points a game, league MVP, James Harden, still not happy. He didn't like Doc Rivers. Crumbled in game six and seven against the Celtics. Doc Rivers was fired, and since then... He's, he's discussed how difficult it is to coach and reason with James Harden, which shouldn't shock anyone unless you're a James Harden wannabe fanboy whack-off, then you're not going to see it. So free agency comes around. Harden wants a long-term deal. The 76ers were and still are hesitant for good reasons. He opts into the final year of his contract and he immediately demands a trade to the Clippers because now he wants to play with Kawhi, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook. But the Clippers want to keep Terrence Mann so that trade never happened, probably never will. Now this week, James Harden in China, shoe tour, pops off on his friend Daryl Morey, calling him a liar and that he'll never play for him again. That's where we're at. The, that, that is the James Harden saga in a nutshell. And I said it earlier this offseason, if the 76ers are serious about competing for an NBA championship right now and keeping Joel Embiid long-term because the Knicks or waiting in the shadows. Embiid has connections to the Knicks front office. His agent is good friends with a lot of those people in the organization. And Embiid is close with Jalen Brunson. Embiid, if this upcoming season goes sideways, or they fall short of the finals once again, he will most likely demand a trade which will doom the 76ers for years and years to come. They should have traded for Damian Lillard a long time ago. Daryl Morey doesn't want to trade Tyrese Maxey. Who gives a rip? And Maxey's a good player, but the goal is to win a championship right now. Centers, big guys in NBA don't stay in their prime a long time. This isn't LeBron, Kobe, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry. This is a center. Injuries build up. Embiid is banged up every year. A guy like Damian Lillard, who can drop 50 at any moment, is the type of player the 76ers need. Trade Maxi in that terrible Tobias Harris contract. Get a third team involved. Harden has exercise. Time and time again, he's a selfish douchebag who only cares about himself. He wants to be paid, be the number one option, and party every night. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to win an NBA championship. He can give a rat's ass about winning an NBA championship. He could give a rat's ass. He doesn't give a shit. Every time he says that he cares, it's a load of BS. And also, if Dame ends up on the Miami Heat, if that trade gets completed, 
the 76ers will have zero chance of getting to the finals because the Heat, Bucks, Celtics, and Knicks, who are up and coming, will all be better. The 76ers are in serious trouble. Like this idea that James Harden is making, oh, he's just making an empty threat. His nonsense, based on his track record, blowing up the situation with the Rockets, torpedoed his way from the Nets, and is currently setting the 76ers on fire, this is not an empty threat. There's no way after these comments you can bring him to training camp and have him around the team. Like once the season starts, you can't have him on the bench. If I'm Dara Mori and I want to keep my job and stay relevant in the NBA for years to come, pick up the phone and start begging teams to take Harden. If the 76ers run back what they have right now in the Miami Heat, bring in Dame, they'll have a better roster. The Bucks will have a better roster. The Celtics have a better roster. All better than the 76ers. Like, Dara Mori, get off your knees for James Harden. Just get off them. You've had a great, you had a great run in Houston together. Seven years, got a lot done. It's time to move on. Pick up the damn phone and start calling up teams to get James Harden the hell away from the 76ers. And find a way to get Damian Lillard to Philadelphia before the Miami Heat because if all that doesn't happen, if they, if Dame goes to Miami and Harden stays on the team, the 76ers are screwed because Embiid will be demanding a trade in short order. And he should. Like, if I'm Embiid, I'm ticked off. I'm like, what the hell is this mess? I mean, damn seriously. What the hell is this? I'm not sticking around for this. I have to go up against the Bucks, Miami Heat, possibly of Dame, Celtics, Knicks, Cavaliers. The East is more loaded than you think. The Nets are young. The 76ers, they're not beating the Bucks with a banged up, out of shape, pissed off James Harden. They're not doing it. And if they lose James Harden for nothing and don't get Dame at all, they're also screwed because Embiid, he can't do it by himself because that roster outside of him is not very good. Maxi Harris, Mo Bamba, Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, P.J. Tucker, Paul Reed. Are you freaking kidding me? That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Absolutely not. Not even close to being good enough. So, I'm no fan of James Harden. He's not catching any sympathy for me. He lost it a long time ago with the way he handled the situation with the Rockets, the Nets, and now the 76ers. And also throw in all the playoff blunders and collapses he's had. Doesn't help the situation either. So I don't feel bad for him. And no one should either. Except for his fanboys who love him. He's their favorite player. I don't know why. Because he doesn't win big playoff games. He had a big, sure, he had a big game in game one against the Celtics. Why, I want a cookie? He actually did his damn job. Game six, nowhere to be found in the second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter. Game seven, nine, ten points. Seriously? Pathetic. And he's supposed to be a top five player in the league at one point. Because all you fools say he can still play. He can't still play. He's a washed up, narcissistic douchebag. That's what he is. No one should want him on his team. But if I'm Dara Mori, bro, your future in the NBA is in some serious danger because you've whiffed with the 76ers. Because you put all of your eggs in the James Harden basket and they've all broken. They're all shattered. Because that's what you're going to get. 
And when they shatter, they really shatter. Because James Harden, you don't want to piss off James Harden because he will blow that whole team up. He'll be gone, you'll be gone, and Jabon Bede, he'll be gone. Alright, so switching gears. College football realignment has been a big topic of discussion. And I don't talk a lot about college football. I grew up in the my, my first 12 years of my life in SEC country, watched college football. But over the years, I've pivoted away to the NFL, the Chargers on my team. The game is faster, easier to watch, less confusion with the playoff seating. There's a concrete system in place. There's not a committee changing the criteria every year. Every team plays the same amount of games, same regular season games. Every game is competitive. Even if one team is 3-14 and 14 or 14-3, and three, the games are competitive. And they don't last for five hours or six hours like the college games. At most, three and a half hours. Most of the time, three hours because the Chargers can start at the, the 430 game or the 425 game, and it's over by 715. Almost less than three hours in most cases. And college football has traditionally been a regional sport. Mainly South, Midwest, SEC, Big Ten. And the sport has reached a point where they need to expand and become a national game. The NFL has gone from national to international. People in France, Japan, Brazil, China, England, Germany watch the NFL. Expansion of international games, capitalism, money, Sunday ticket. The NBA has found ways to expand. The PGA Live Golf Tour combination. Heck, even the NCAA men's basketball tournament gets international ratings because it's chaos. Big games. Upsets. Duke, Kentucky, UNC, UCLA. College football has been slow to attract casual fans. You don't have to watch the NCAA March Madness the whole season to figure out and, and come the tournament, oh, who, who are the good teams? Because it's right there. TV, attraction, NFL. Super Bowl gets the highest ratings in the world. College football, they've been slow. Casual fans, they don't have a lot of casual fans. They've been working towards it. It started with neutral side, big games, big time games. Alabama, Texas, Michigan, Notre Dame, USC, LSU, Ohio State. Then it was the playoff system, which has been executed poorly with only four teams getting in. 98% of the teams have zero chance week one. Bowl games have been reduced because the casual fan flipping through the channels. They're not watching Indiana versus Boston College in the New York Pinstripe Bowl. They're not doing it. Or the Tony the Tiger Bowl. They're not doing it. The expansion of the playoff to 12 teams is good. Puts more meaning into the regular season because now it's not just Alabama, Georgia, Iowa State, Clemson, USC every year. Now teams that lose one or two games won't be punished for losing on the road at Penn State with 18 to 23-year-old kids who are probably hungover. Programs can be built in college football. They can have a chance LSU can have a chance. Texas. Texas A&M. Name them. Michigan. Penn State. TCU. Teams won't be punished at a road game in the middle of November. If they have one or two losses, let them in the tournament. Give them a chance. And this idea that programs won't be able to be built. They're built in the NBA. The NBA went from super teams... To duos, Nuggets, Bucks, and Spurs built teams over the course of years. They won championships. 
won a championship. The Spurs won multiple championships. Now one loss, Penn State, Miami, Tennessee, TCU, Texas A&M, Notre Dame won't be canned for a road loss in October, November, September. It's ridiculous. USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington moving to the Big Ten isn't a bad thing. It's not going to ruin college football. It's called growing the game. So the casual sports fan flipping through channels on a Saturday afternoon can watch Oregon versus Ohio State, USC versus Michigan, rather than Ohio State blitzing some conference USA program by 60. TV networks see value. NBC, CBS, ESPN, and Fox. They're throwing gobs of money because they know the potential for capital and viewership explosion. If they can get these bigger games, ratings will skyrocket. Sure, the traditional, old-school, hardcore college football fan probably won't like it at first, but you'll get over it and watch. People laugh the NFL International Series. 17 games. Ratings explode. Attendance increases. Revenue increases. And the goal is you should want to grow the sport. Attract more people from the Northeast and West Coast. You expand the playoff. Get rid of the subjective nature, the BS of the playoff committee. Set some concrete rules. Reduce the length of games. There's no reason to stop the clock after every play. Reshape conferences. Everyone plays the same number of games because the casual fan doesn't want to see Alabama blowing the doors off of Missouri State Community College. People want Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, Texas, Oregon, Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Washington, Penn State. Travel's not going to be an issue. These are 18 to 23-year-old kids. NFL players do it every week. They'll be fine. College football needs to learn to adjust. They're doing it slowly. They're getting there. But if you want to attract more viewers, get better games. Have a competitive regular season. And have the lower tier conferences form their own championships. Because everyone wants to feel bad for the small guy. Small guy in college football. No, the Alabamas, Miamis, Texas, Penn State's, Michigan's, those SEC, Big 12, Big 10, ACC, those blue blood teams, they matter. No one's watching the Pinstripe Bowl or the Tony the Tiger Bowl. No one's doing it. No one's flipping the channel and getting excited to watch. Oh, yay. USC and UNOV and the Tony the Tiger Bowl. Woo! Can't wait. It's not that complicated. Growing the game involves change, and I think college football will be better for it in the long term. It's not going to happen overnight like everyone wants it. They want it to be instant oatmeal. They want it to change overnight. Since the sport's a mess, give it time. Get everyone a chance to get organized. Maybe install a commissioner to oversee the outlines and inner workings. NIL has made the sport better. Player movement. Let it let the dust settle. Let it bake. Get a 12-team playoff. Shorten the games. Shorten it from five, six hours to three and a half hours. Tone it down. Baseball made adjustments. They have a pitching clock. Let the changes bake, and you'll see college football come back to life instead of it being regionalized in the South and Midwest. Like, I've seen a lot of weird reactions on social media of people just offended that 
Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA are going to the Big Ten. It's like, why not? We want better games. These networks want to attract more viewers. More people want football. What is the number one sport in the U.S.? It's not baseball anymore. It's not basketball. It is football. That's why the NFL does very, very well. There's no reason on this planet that college football should not be good. It should be great. But right now, it's hard to watch. A subjective playoff committee, stupid rules, everyone plays different number of conference games. Get everyone on the same page. Get it organized. Expand the playoff. Get rid of those stupid committees. Have a tiebreaker system in place. Have rules. If you win your conference, you're in. If you finish the second in your conference, you're in. Bam, bam, bam. Not that hard. We don't have to make it that complicated. But we love to, in society, to make every aspect of our lives complicated. Football doesn't need to be complicated. The NFL makes it very, very simple. The NCAA tournament, very, very simple for basketball. NBA, system in place, simple. College football, get with it. Simple. Get organized. Give it some time. But let's go. Kick it in high gear. Networks are ready. They see the potential. They see the ratings for the NFL. They see the ratings for what football brings. The USFL, XFL, they don't bring any ratings. Fans are not. They're not. They want college. They want to see Alabama, Texas. Ohio State, USC. They want to see Dion, Nick Saban. Jim Harbaugh. They want to see big brand names. They don't want to see some Power 5 school, or whatever the hell that means, Power 5. They want to see they, they don't want to see big programs smashing Conference USA, Louisiana Monroe. They don't want to see it. They want to see games that matter. They want to see big time games every week. The networks want it, the fans want it. College football realignment is not bad. It's called growth and capitalism. All right. That is it for this edition of Opinions All Day. I will see you guys next time.